Welcome to The Daily Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church. I'm Trevor Lovell, a pastor from our Near North location. Throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add even a little sense of rhythm to life. And so to do that, we created The Daily Cut, where we've been posting these short devotionals every day. And so we hope they've been helpful and that they have added a little sense of rhythm and that you'll continue to join us and enjoy listening. So this is The Daily Cut, and I'm Trevor Lovell. All right. It's good to be with you all. I hope you're doing well. Today, we're picking up the next chapter in the life of Joseph. And so this is episode four of our mini-series through the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And we'll be in Genesis chapter 41 today. So if you're able to, if your hands are free, go ahead and open up to that passage. Uh, But first, to get us started off here, just a quick recap of episode three. So we saw there that Joseph wound up in prison at the end of episode two. And the question coming into the third one was, uh, basically, how is he going to respond? How is he going to make it in prison, right? What are things going to be like for him in there? And what we saw yesterday or what we heard was that even though he was thrown in prison, God was still with him and God gave him favor there. And what happened was uh, two of Pharaoh's servants ended up being thrown in as well, the baker and the cupbearer. And they had dreams while they were in prison and Joseph interpreted them. And so the hope was that when the one was set free, when the cupbearer was set free and restored to his position, that he would remember Joseph and get him out of prison, that he would uh, set him free. However, even with all of God's favor and the interpretation of the dreams and everything that Joseph had done, we saw that at the close of the chapter, when the cupbearer was restored, he forgot about Joseph entirely. And once again, Joseph's hopes were dashed against the rocks as he realized he's still in prison and nobody cares. And so now that's where the last episode left off and that's where we come into the story. And really this is the low point in the story. His hopes have been dashed and revived and dashed and revived and dashed again so many times that he's at a point where you've basically lost all hope where we've kind of lost all hope. This is the extreme low point in the story where even as readers, we're kind of not even looking for a way out. We're just kind of down in the pit with Joseph because this just is starting, it's starting to seem like one of those stories that doesn't have a happy ending, that it really is just a tragedy through and through. And that's where we're at in the story. And that's where we pick up today in Genesis chapter 41. And I'll read the the opening verse of this part of it for us right now, uh, starting at verse one. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. And those six words give us a whole lot in this sense and that they're a catalyst within Joseph's story, right? Because first, what we see is that once the cupbearer was restored and freed from prison, Joseph uh, was forgotten and left behind for two entire years. This gives us the timeline here that for two whole years, nothing happened and life went on as usual for Joseph in prison. And sometimes the pace of this story drives me absolutely crazy with how long things take. But here we see a glimmer of hope because while those two years, right, that probably began with a lot of hope, with high hopes that he was gonna be remembered, that he was gonna be set free, that any day uh, Joseph would be released from prison. And then as day after day after day, drug on, the hopes started to grow a little bit weary uh, and a little bit more weary until eventually they just died altogether, right? Through these two years of drudgery and misery for Joseph, he he continued to be faithful for them. And what's interesting is we see that it, you know, two years takes a long time. For Joseph, we see it recapped in just a couple of words, but thankfully 
they're paired with the latter half of this sentence where we do see something stirring on the horizon. Because while it mentions two years passing, it goes on to say, Pharaoh dreamed. And Joseph, as we saw yesterday, is someone who's well acquainted with dreams. And this is what happens. Pharaoh dreams two dreams. The first is of seven cows that come up out of the Nile River. And these cows, the text actually calls them attractive and plump. These are good, well-fed cows. But then these seven thin and stringy and poorly fed cows, they come up out of the Nile River after them and they eat up the seven plump cows. They devour them. That's the first dream. And the second is of seven ears of grain that once again are plump and good. Uh, They're great, healthy ears of grain. But then seven other ears of grain sprout up that are thin and they're blighted by the east wind. They're not good. And these thin ears swallow whole the seven plump ears. So what happens is Pharaoh wakes up in the morning and he's anxious. He's upset. He knows these dreams are important and that they mean something, but he doesn't know what, right? He doesn't know what to make of them. And so he sends and he has all of the magicians and all of the wise men in all of Egypt come to him, or he has them all sent to him in the hopes that one of them would be able to interpret these dreams. But, but all of them come and they listen to his dreams and they hear what he has to say, and not one of them could interpret them. Right? Nobody could make any sense of the dreams. And in the midst of this scene, right, while you can imagine the Pharaoh is upset, and everybody's standing around and they're debating and trying to figure out and solve this riddle, the cupbearer is there and he has a recollection He remembers the one who had interpreted his own dream uh, once two years ago, the one that he'd left behind in prison, right? As he's standing around in the midst of this scene, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And he comes forward to Pharaoh and he says this in verse nine. He says, I remember my offenses today, right? And when we read that line in the story, we're just kind of like, finally, finally, somebody has remembered Joseph and the cupbearer tells the story of Joseph interpreting his dream. And as soon as he's done, Pharaoh sends for Joseph. And it says that quickly they brought him up out of the pit, which it's kind of funny. That's actually what they called the prison he was in. They called it the pit, which means it wasn't a very pleasant place. And you can just imagine the shock and the surprise for Joseph that he's being summoned by Pharaoh himself. It had to almost feel surreal. And so Joseph, the first thing he does is he has himself cleaned up. He shaves and he changes his clothes so that he looks nice. And then he comes in before Pharaoh. And then they have this exchange that we see starts in in verse 15. It reads like this. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so Pharaoh gives him a chance. He recounts his dreams for this Hebrew slave with the cows and the corn. And he explains his frustration that nobody's been able to interpret them. And then Joseph, after hearing the dreams, he interprets them. Just as simple as that. He says that the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And he explains that the seven plump cows... And the seven plump ears of grain, those are the good years that are coming in the land. But the thin and ugly cows and ears of grain that follow, those are the seven years of famine that are coming right on the heels of these seven good years. But the thing is, it's almost like Joseph knows that this is his opportunity, that this is his chance right here 
in this moment. And so what we see is that he doesn't just give the interpretation. While he's got the floor, he uses it and he takes advantage of the opportunity that God has given him here and he makes a recommendation. He says this to Pharaoh, starting in verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Joseph takes the opportunity he has here and presents his foolproof plan for how Egypt can make it through these seven years of famine. And you can almost imagine Pharaoh just being stunned by this, right? Not, not just by the interpretation itself, but by the fact that Joseph, on the spot, as he hears these dreams and gives the interpretation, he's able to formulate a plan to help Egypt navigate and survive this famine. Right? Really, it's kind of some, like some incredible skills that Joseph demonstrates there. And this is what happens next. It says in verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Or can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And just like that, Joseph is elevated. No longer is he in prison. No longer is he a slave. No longer is he struggling to survive in a foreign land where nobody cares whether he lives or dies. In a single day, he's elevated from the pit to second in command over all of Egypt. And the thing I want to call attention to is the way that God brought this about in Joseph's life. Because we see two things that he's able to impress Pharaoh with, right? The two things are his ability to interpret dreams, which is just a God-given gift, right? That he's always had ever since his brothers dubbed him the dreamer. He's always had that. And it's not like you can practice and figure out a strategy for interpreting dreams. It's something that God gave him, but it's not just that, The other thing was that he also had this ability to recommend a plan, to formulate a strategy to navigate the entire nation through these seven years of famine, It was his clear and evident skills as a manager, skills that he developed throughout his time in Egypt that helped him to impress Pharaoh. If you just look back over the story, we can see that in Potiphar's house, he was given more and more responsibility as he did well until eventually Potiphar trusted him so much that he had Joseph running the entire estate. And then even in prison, the same thing happened there. They trusted him so much, they had him basically running the prison as a prisoner. And so all throughout the story, even even in the the terrible circumstances that Joseph found himself in, he was faithful. He was faithful with the responsibilities and with the opportunities he was presented with, even when they were less than what Joseph would have asked for. But all throughout, he was faithful. And I think sometimes we read Joseph's story and pay more attention to the dreams and to the sudden elevation that comes about here. And we forget that it came about largely because of the skills that he had developed along the way in his faithfulness. I mean, yeah, God was with him and helped him to be faithful and helped him to learn how to manage well, but he had to work too. 
He had to work and these things came about and he learned and grew as he was faithful. And so I think the question for us, I think the question that this section of Joseph's story poses for us is, what is God calling you to be faithful with today? Because it's really easy to look forward to our time as kind of second in command, right? It's easy to look forward to the elevation and to anticipate that moment and dream about it, uh, all the while neglecting the responsibilities that we've, be, that we've been given today, right? Neglect our responsibility to be faithful today, right? It's a whole lot harder to think about being faithful in Potiphar's house, running his estate, making him rich while he's off kind of doing his own thing. It's a whole lot harder to think about being faithful in prison, running the place well, doing a good job, even when it seems like there's no hope. Thinking about being faithful today is always more difficult than being faithful tomorrow with the opportunities that we hope come along our way. And so I think the question for us to wrestle with is what does it look like for you to be faithful today? What responsibilities, what ministry opportunities has God given you today? What work responsibilities, what relationship opportunities, what what has God put on your plate today to handle well and to be faithful with? That's what I think this section of the story has for us. And and as we close, I do wanna mention one other piece uh, with this as we wrap this up. The big question ever since Joseph was sold by his brothers and came to Egypt was basically, just how is he going to survive, right? Will he survive? How is he gonna make it as a slave in a foreign land? And we've seen how that played out, right? But now a new tension arises because while Joseph's survival is no longer an issue, a famine is coming, a severe famine that will last for seven years and have a drastic effect, not just on Egypt, but on all the surrounding lands as well. And because of these dreams and because of Joseph's management, Egypt will be the only one prepared, which means as the years drag on and there is no food, there will be only one place to get it, and that's Egypt. And so all in the land and in the surrounding lands, everyone who's anywhere nearby, there's only one place for them to go for food. And so everyone's going to be coming to Egypt. Everyone's going to be coming to the city, and everyone is going to be coming to Joseph for survival everyone, including the brothers he once knew who dropped him into a pit and sold him into slavery and forgot about him entirely. Joseph knows that he's on the brink of seeing his family again. And so the question is, really, what's he going to do when they arrive? Tune in tomorrow to hear what happens next. Thanks for listening today. Hope you're doing well. We'll be back tomorrow with the next episode and chapter in Joseph's life. So stay tuned.